following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. ...of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. It's just to say right off the bat here, you know, hitting 60, here's proof that, you know, when you're 60 and over, like, you, you just are not worth as much. Okay, that's what it says right here. I'm just, say, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm getting close, sadly. Um, if the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from f- uh, 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels, for a female 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male five shekels of silver. For a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years or over, well, don't bother. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Uh, The valuation shall be um, uh, 15 shekels for a male, uh, for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest and the priest shall value him, the priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as, a, as an offering to the Lord, all of it, shall, uh, all of it uh, that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, for good, uh, good for bad, or bad for good. If he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is uh, any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so shall it be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. And then jumping over to uh, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed." These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Um, Coming to the end of the book of Leviticus, and uh, if you haven't been with us the whole time, just to summarize a little bit the book, uh, essentially the book of Leviticus is a a handbook for worship. Um, In in Exodus, uh, Moses built the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and in Leviticus, they get the instruction manual, essentially, for how to use it. So they learn about what offerings are appropriate to bring and how they bring those offerings. They learn about the role of the priest in administering these sacrifices and offerings at the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, they, they learn about their need to be a holy people. Uh, and that involved both turning away from sin... Uh, keeping the commands of God, like the Ten Commandments and other commands, but also keeping themselves free from anything that was unclean, uh, which is a different category than, than moral sin. It just had things that God designated as unclean, and they needed to keep away from those things. Uh, and then finally, there's uh, 
the prescription or the calendar, if you will, of times to worship, the annual feasts and festivals and fasts, the sacred days and sacred years, and even the year of Jubilee. And then last week, uh, Ted shared about the, the kind of grand conclusion, what was the blessings and curses. So these are the instructions, and if you keep these instructions and follow them and worship me according to these instructions, you will be blessed, and things will go well for you in the land. But if you do not worship me and you're not faithful to keep these commands, uh, you will come under curses, and things will not go well for you. And really, the, the book uh, could really end there. And in many, many commentators look at this and say, why didn't it end with the blessings and curses? And then kind of tacked on almost as a footnote or an appendix is, is some more instructions about vows and tithes. Uh, it seems to be a bit out of place. Uh, did, did Moses just forget this one and, you know, he, uh, he didn't know where to stick it, so he just stuck it at the end? What's this about? Well, um, uh, I don't think Moses forgot. Uh, I don't think certainly God forgot. Um, and I think the reason it's, it's kind of outside the rest of the book is that the vows specifically really fall into a very different category than all the other offerings that were mentioned at the beginning of the book. It's a different category. And we see that when we look in Psalm, Psalm 50. And one of the problems with, um, with the offerings is that, as we know, uh, God had this great blueprint for worship, but it really depended on both active faith on their part and a real heart participation. Right? This couldn't be just empty ritual, but, uh, or it wasn't to be, but it easily could be. And that's what happened with the Israelites. As the years went on, these offerings became just a very empty ritual. And um, one of the designations, as we look through the book of Leviticus, these offerings or these sacrifices are actually called the food of God. Right? And so what happened is apparently... They, they started to give the offerings for very much the wrong reasons. We see in Psalm 50, uh, kind of the, the later end of, of how this was being abused and misused. And the context of Psalm 50 is that God comes and he judges them for their worship. So essentially he's taking and he's looking at their worship at the temple, in, the, in this case at the temple, uh, comparing what he set out in Leviticus with what they were really actually doing. And notice what it says in Psalm 50 verse 8. He says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. So are you giving the offerings as prescribed in the law? Check, yes. Okay, God says, you're okay with that. But um, you're giving it for the wrong reasons. Notice what he says. He says, I will not accept a bull from your house or, or goats from your folds. He says, stop. He says, you're, you're giving them, but I don't actually want them. And here's why. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all of the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, which notice he's not saying he is hungry, but he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And of course, the clear answer, you know, the clear Sunday school answer to that, every second grade Sunday school kid should know this. Does God actually eat the blood of, eat, eat the, the flesh of bulls? Yes? No. So we look confused. No. <laughs> the answer is straight out, no. Right? No. God doesn't need um, these sacrifices 
Uh, it was symbolically his food, but not because God was hungry or because he actually needed this. Right? This wasn't given uh, because if they didn't, God would starve to death. Right? Uh, but that's apparently what had happened in Israel. They had come to have this perception that, uh, and, and probably because this is how it worked in all the other pagan idol-worshipping countries, uh, nations, that they, they gave these offerings to feed the gods, keep them happy. But that wasn't how God worked. God's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. And he says, the whole world is mine. I made it. Uh, every cow on, the, on every hillside, every bird filling the, the sky is mine. If I were hungry, believe me, I've got my pick. I don't need your food. But that's not what I eat anyway. Right? And so they had abused it, and they were misusing the sacrifices. They were misunderstanding them. But in the, in the context of all that, notice what he does say. He says, this is what I desire. This is what I want. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Perform your vows to the Most High. Um, The vows were a different category. It was a different kind of gift. And God says, "This, this is one thing that you still do correctly. This is one thing that you haven't corrupted yet. And so do that, right? I want you to focus on giving uh, offerings of thanksgiving, essentially uh, paying uh, the vows that you have promised. Uh, the vow was different. First off, it was voluntary, as, as we'll see, and it had a unique purpose, uh, unlike the rest of the offerings and sacrifices. And ultimately, a vow was given to acknowledge uh, God's help. And we'll talk about how the vow worked in a minute. But it was, it was an expression that God's hand had been working on your behalf and you were showing gratitude for his help. Um, and God says in Psalm 50, keep giving that one. Okay, that kind of gets at the heart of what I am after in the offerings and sacrifices. So, um, fast forward to our day. Of course, we don't give, uh, we don't offer uh, animal sacrifices, thankfully. Um, uh, different, we have a whole different framework of all that. Jesus came and he was the final sacrifice as we celebrated in the Lord's Supper uh, who made obsolete all other animal sacrifices. Um, but there's some principles here about the vow and about the way they were offered that are relevant for us today in the church. And the, and the real question is, does God need our money? Does God need our offerings? Of course, we would all uh, know, I I would hope, and say, no, God doesn't need uh, our offerings. Just like he didn't need the the bulls and goats of Israel, so he doesn't need our money. Um, Now, of course, we may may say, well, God doesn't, but the church does. And I would say amen to that, right? Uh, Your poor preacher up here, uh, he's kind of dependent on on these offerings. And so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, part of my salary comes from it. Uh, but, but what happens is we, uh, we, we get this idea that, well, God doesn't actually need the money, but we know that like the church does and ministries do because uh, money may, is what makes these things go, and it is a, it is a need. Um, so it, it can really create in us this attitude that we, we, we essentially give to the church or we give to this ministry or that ministry because there's a need... And giving is about fulfilling some need, some human need. Uh, and and it's, it's quite easy to, to miss the point that our offerings really are to be a gift to God. Right? A gift to God. 
So what we're going to talk about today as we look at this uh, passage on vows and on tithes is to really think through why do we give? Why do you give? Or do you? And I know some Christians who, who don't give. Uh, do you give a tithe or do you not give a tithe? Do you feel like, well, you know, a tithe is kind of the bare minimum. I'm super spiritual, so I give a double tithe. I give 20%. Uh, I've been in, in, in rural villages where I've heard that, where the pastors are all very super proud that they gave double 10%, right? Uh, is that kind of what it is? Or like, like proving to God how spiritual we are by how much we give. Is that how it works? Um, and, and a good question is, what is a fitting gift? Like, um, why do we give and what's really enough? And how does it work? Um, if God doesn't really need our money at all, does it really matter how much we give? It's just the thought that counts, right? Um, well, those are some of the questions we want to think about and look through um, that I think this, uh, this teaching on, on, on keeping the vow, giving the vow, will help us uh, understand. So uh, the, the point here of this passage is that they are to keep their vows. Uh, and and a, a, a vow, as we'll see, was, it was essentially a promise to God to bless God uh, in, in response to answered prayer. And what's interesting is, in all of the whole book of Leviticus, uh, this is the only stipulation or, or, or um, process, procedure, that's 100% voluntary, right? A person wasn't at all required to, to give a vow, um, it, was, it was purely voluntary, 100% voluntary. So it was very much up to the, the person making it, uh, not only if they, if they gave a vow, if they, if they made a vow. And of course, a vow was something you make. And what he's talking about here is fulfilling the vow by paying up, by following through with what you had promised. And so it's completely voluntary. Uh, you could go your whole life and you would never have to make a vow. Uh, but if, if you did... The, the reality was that it became uh, irreversible. Right? So it's completely voluntary, but once you make this promise, you can't go back on it. Uh, and and so, um, so it was really important that you were careful about what you promised. Um, you didn't want to get in over your head. And, and um, I don't know if you've ever made a vow. Maybe uh, you've got yourself into a huge mess and, and I, uh, I, I don't remember doing this often, but I, I do remember praying this kind of prayer where, like, God, uh, I've done something really stupid, and it has gotten me into huge trouble, and I desperately need your help. And if you will help me, I promise to never do this stupid thing again. Okay, anybody's prayed that prayer? I've prayed that prayer. And, uh, and so that, that's a prayer of a vow. And it's this desperate call for help. Uh, and, and it's praying that if God comes through, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna promise to do something for him. Um, and, and so the danger was that in a, in a time of great desperation, a person could throw out a pretty extreme promise. Like, God, if you help me, I'll give you everything I own. And so this passage is, 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 is saying, essentially, look, if you make the promise, you cannot go back on it. You are obligated and bound to that promise before God. So think carefully. This is voluntary. You know, you don't have to do this. So think carefully about what you promise to God. But at the same time, uh, there's a sense that, uh, that, that when, you're, when you're desperately in need of help, that what you promise or what you offer up, uh, at some degree, matches... Um, What's your feeling, right? It matches your desperation and your urgency. 
Um, so, so the way a vow worked, it's, it's, a, it's essentially an if-then transaction. An if-then tran- if, transaction. It worked like this. You would pray, God, if you will help me, if you will do this for me, if you will rescue me, if you will heal me, if you will uh, destroy my enemies, uh, it was oftentimes in the Old Testament, then I will uh, give you a gift. I will give you something very special and costly to me as a way of saying thank you. And we don't know exactly how this uh, worked, and we don't have a lot of examples in the, in the Old Testament uh, what this exactly looked like. But we have a couple instances uh, where we see this vow um, process being done. One is in Genesis 28:20, 20, long before the Exodus um, with Jacob. Uh, so it was something that had been practiced before Moses talked about it here. Uh, Genesis 28:20, 20, uh, Jacob was fleeing from his brother uh, who he had just cheated out of uh, his birthright and, uh, uh, and, and blessing. And his brother wanted to kill him, so he decided it was a good time to take a vacation. Kind of like people leaving the smog, he was leaving uh, the threat of his brother. Uh, And he goes to Bethel, and God appears to him at Bethel in in a vision. That's the one where the angels are going up and down the ladder, if you remember. And and, and it says, then Jacob, uh, after he had this vision, this this dream, said, then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Okay, that's the if part. So he's got several things he's asking for God here. Uh, Protection, food and clothing, uh, safety, and, and, and safe return to his father's house. If God will do all that, then uh, the Lord shall be my God. I will worship and follow God alone. And this stone which I have set up uh, sh- shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So he promises to give God a tithe, a- an offering of a tenth of all that he owns. Um, we see it again in First Samuel with Hannah, a very familiar scene. Uh, Hannah was uh, uh, married uh, but-, but childless. And uh, her husband had also taken another wife who had children. And the wife with children would just mock Hannah. And it was shameful in that day to not have children. And, and, and to make it matters worse, uh, her uh, sister, wife, was, was, was mocking her. And it was very painful. And Hannah just felt the burden and shame of that. And so she goes to the temple and she pleads with God for a child. And in 1 Samuel 1, 9, it says, After they'd eaten and drunk, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. And she was deeply distressed and, and, uh, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This is the kind of scenario where, where vows often take place. Uh, deep distress, deep pain and turmoil. Um, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then, okay, so the if, God, I'm, I'm asking for a son. Uh, I'm asking to take away the shame and reproach of being childless. If you will do that, then, uh, she says, then I will give that child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. 
Uh, so that's what she does. She God does answer the prayer, and she, and she gives birth to Samuel. And when Samuel is old enough to be weaned, uh, she takes him as a, as a young child, maybe three or four years old, five years old, and leaves him at the temple where he serves God uh, in the temple as kind of an assistant to the priest. Um, so that's the picture. Uh, if God rescues you from trouble, sickness, life-threatening situations, you make this, this prayer. So it's really a prayer with a promise. God, if you help me, then... I will give you, and fill in the blank, right? That's how it worked. Um, and, and, and the point of it all, the, the goal of, of the, the vow was to express deep gratitude for God's help. Right? And you see with Hannah, deep distress. Uh, it's people who are, who, who are in very dire situations. They are desperate. And so their cry for Prayer, their cry and their prayer for, for help is, is one of deep urgency. And, and it's one of knowing that I can't fix this myself. I'm desperately in need of help, and God alone can help me. And so, God, I promise that if you come through, that I'm going to give you a gift, a vow of, of thanksgiving and gratitude that is fitting for what you've done to help me. Uh, so. So there was a sense in which uh, it's acknowledging God's hands and his help. And, and there's a sense in which you, you, you're measuring gratitude. Right? And so those, those instructions here warn people to be careful because it's expensive. Right? And, and that's what a lot of these rules are about. That's why uh, people, according to their age and their sex and whatever, is given a value. Right? Because uh, it, it's, it's measuring gratitude. Uh, and, and these are the categories. You could give um, a house. Um, that's no small thing, right? Uh, giving your house to God. And what it meant is you were giving it to the, the Levites and the priests as their possession. But so you, couldn't, you couldn't just say, well, God, I'm giving you my house. Thanks for letting me live in your house. <laughs> no, it didn't work that way. It meant you moved out. And you gave it to the priests or the Levites, and they took possession of your house. And you could uh, redeem it, and that was even probably more important with property, because property needed to stay in the clan. So if you gave God your land, uh, there was formulas, which we didn't read about, uh, how to calculate the number of crops, the, the cash value of the crops that would be harvested. And, and there was this expectation that you would redeem it to keep it in the family. And the cost of that would be uh, the, uh, the, the harvest from the years till Jubilee, as we looked in... Uh, so complicated formulas. But the idea was it was expensive. And to redeem it, no matter what it was, if it was a house or if it was land or even an animal, uh, to redeem it, you needed to pay an additional 20%. Right? So it was expensive. And to make this promise and fulfill it was costly. But the idea here is that you are, you are in a sense, measuring gratitude. You're putting, in a sense, a price tag on how grateful you are. So, so it, it kind of mattered. It was voluntary, and you could pick the price anywhere you wanted. But in a sense, um, for it to really be meaningful, it had to fit. It had to, it had to be acceptable. So, like, for example, Jacob didn't say, God, if you, if you provide for me food and clothing and you bring me back to my father's house safely, I'll bake you a loaf of bread. Right? Like, I was like, wow, you really went all out there. Awesome, right? He could have. It's, it's voluntary. He could have. Uh, but, but that would have been 
a bit cheesy, a bit cheap, chintzy. Or if uh, Hannah had said, look, God, if you give me a son and, and, and give me the son that I long for, that I desperately, I would give anything for. You do that for me, I'll bake you a cake. <laughs> I kind of just, that's like, ah, that's, that's awesome, right? I do like cake, but it kind of doesn't match, right? So there's a sense that uh, the gift, the offering for it to be meaningful should be costly. Um, and, and the most costly thing that a person can give, and, G, and he starts off, and we read, read this, is, is to actually give your life. Right? The most costly thing that a person could vow was, God, if you do this, I will give you my life. And, and what that really meant was, I, I'm giving myself symbolically, apparently, uh, to serve you in your temple. Now, the problem with that is that uh, only the Levites and priests were qualified, were allowed to do that kind of service. So it meant, uh, and, and again, we don't actually know how this works, but it would appear that if you gave your life, uh, you were forced to redeem it back, and, the, and it was expensive. If you were an adult male, it was 50 shekels, was what it would cost you to essentially redeem back your life. How much was 50 shekels? Well, a shekel was about a month's wages. So you're talking 50 months wages. So do you want to know how much you're really worth? You are worth your annual income times four, according to the Bible. Right? That's kind of what it says here. So this is an expensive gift. Like, think about what your annual income, multiply by four, and if you gave yourself to God, that's what you would have to pay to redeem it back. It's expensive. In fact, there was no offering that came anywhere close to the cost uh, of this 50 shekel redemption price. It was expensive. But it was also the most fitting gift, right? If God gave you your life, it was right that you would give it back to Him um, uh, to serve Him. And we know in the case of, of, of uh, Samuel, he did actually serve. He actually lived in the, in the tabernacle and he served there. He served God with his life. Um, so, so that was the vow. Uh, and, and, and it was to be a deep and meaningful expression of thanksgiving and gratitude. That's what it was about. And it was a gratitude that was promised in advance. It's like, God, I need your help, and if you help me, I'm telling you, I'm going to be so incredibly thankful that I'm going to give you a substantial uh, gift that's fitting to show how grateful I am. Um. The passage also talks about uh, uh, giving a tithe. Um, the tithe was, was not actually uh, uh, optional or voluntary. It was, it was commanded. And so in some ways it doesn't quite fit in this passage, but there's a couple of reasons why, why it, it's a good fit. Um, one is because the, uh, the tithe served a practical purpose. Um, the... the uh, the tithe did support the, the Levites and the priests in the temple. And even though they weren't to give it to support the temple, they were to give it to God. But God used the, uh, these gifts to sustain and support those serving in the temple. Right? Um, it also, uh, I think, is connected here uh, because it shows that, that we can't vow what already belongs to God. And the tithe that says the tithe is giving to God what's already His. The 10%, the tithe is the Lord's, right? And so they couldn't vow. It's like, well, uh, Jacob did. Okay, Jacob vowed to give a tithe, but that was before it was commanded. 
But after Leviticus and after the law, the tithe was commanded. And so you couldn't say, God, if you save me, I'll give you a tithe. Okay, it's like, well, no, I already own the tithe, right? That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a legitimate vow. You're already just giving me what already belongs to me, right? And likewise, uh, the tithe could not be taken out of the firstborn because the firstborn already belonged to God. So for the Israelites, um, what they needed to give was way more than 10% because they gave the tithe, but the tithe could not be out of the firstborn. It could not be out of the first fruits, and there were other things that they had to give, right? So they, they had to give a lot. But I think the main reason that, that the tithe is connected here is because of what God hoped would be its purpose. Right? The tithe, like the vow, was, was to be an expression of thanksgiving and gratitude. It was a way of acknowledging, look, everything that we have is from God. The very fact that we have a harvest and that we have something to uh, reap and to take in and that we've got this abundance of crops is because it all belongs to God and He's He's blessed us out of his own abundance. And so it's giving back to God a portion, 10% of what was his in the first place, and acknowledging that God's the one who provides. God is the supplier. That they didn't have this wealth just because they were so clever. It was ultimately because God is the sustainer of heaven and earth. And he's the one who sends the rain. And so you know, we're praying for rain, not for our crops, but for our breathing. Right? Because God's the one who's in charge of that. And we acknowledge that. Right? Um, so, so the purpose of all this is giving thanks. And, and so let me just apply it to us uh, in, in the, in, as followers of Jesus. What does this tell us about how we worship God by giving? By uh, giving to give thanks, so to speak. Um, now, of course, uh, we don't, we, 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 most of us probably don't, practice this, the, the making of vows like they did. And I don't know that we should. And in fact, there's some warnings in the New Testament. Uh, a vow is a little different than an oath, and we're for sure not, not supposed to make oaths. But even vows um, are not really taught in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, on at least two occasions, uh, was making a vow, so we know Paul at least practiced it. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be an emphasis in the New Testament. So I'm not saying... Next time you pray, although you can try it. I mean, it is voluntary. You feel free. Next time you're praying for something urgently you need to say, God, if you answer my prayer, I promise I'll give the church $10,000. Amen. You do that, right? And I'll be praying, I'll be praying with you, right? Um, uh, you can do that, but it's not really taught um, in the New Testament. And, and uh, in, for us, it's different. And I think one of the reasons it's different is that God's greatest work of rescue and deliverance in our life uh, is not so much from physical enemies or sickness, although he, he can do that and we should certainly pray for that. But God's most significant saving, redeeming, ransoming work in us is, is delivering us from the bondage of sin and death. And the, and, and the reality is that the New Testament makes it very clear that God didn't do that because we prayed for it. He says, he says, you were enemies of God. When you were against God, when you were hostile to Him, He sent His Son to die for you. Right? So it makes the vow for us kind of impossible. Because before we knew Jesus, before we received this incredible gift of salvation, we were His enemies. And maybe we prayed, maybe we were, we were religious. Uh, but we weren't seeking the true and living God. It is 
God's work of bringing salvation to us that honestly we were not even looking for, the Bible tells us. We were lost in our sins, dead in our trespasses, heading away from God when He chose to send Jesus and to send salvation to us. So the reality is none of us can claim, well, I prayed for God to send Jesus and save me, and so that's why I'm grateful. We just can't claim that. Right now, of course, as God began to open our eyes and see the truth, and we came to understand and experience our sinfulness, and from an experiential point of view, we started to seek God and we started to learn about Him. There's a point in which in our experience, maybe we feel like we cried out to God and He, he met us. Uh, but the truth is, He was working His salvation out long before we ever acknowledged Him. Uh, so for that reason, uh, for, for one, we, we don't do vows. Um, but but, but the, I think the point of the vow is still relevant for us. Right? The, the point is, when God answers prayer, when God rescues, when He saves and delivers, when He blesses us, it is right and appropriate to be thankful. Right? It is what we should do. Uh, and in fact, it's what God... Uh, he doesn't need, but he desires. Right? Psalm, I, love that. I love Psalm 50, and we, we read it before. He says, this is what I long for. Uh, bring your sacrifice of thanksgiving. Fulfill your vows. And he puts the whole thing in, in Psalm 50 so succinctly. He says, and in your time of need, cry out to me, and I will help you. Right? That's kind of the heart of what God, the kind of relationship God wants with us. He wants a, a relationship where when we run into trouble and hardship, we cry out to him for help, and he promises he will do what? He'll think about it. Eh, let me see. I don't know. No. He promises he will help. Now, granted, his help may not always come in the way we, we, we would like, but he promises his help. And he says, and when, when I help, what I, what I long for is your thanksgiving, a thankful heart. Uh, so how, how can we be thankful? Uh, well, this passage makes it clear that one of the ways we can be thankful is through our giving. And the reality is that actions do speak louder than words. It's super easy to say to God, Oh God, I thank you, I praise you, that's just, you are so good. Uh, but honestly, speaking those words usually don't cost us anything. One of the lessons of the Old Testament, one of the lessons of Leviticus, is that offerings should be costly. Right? There's something about measuring our gratitude with a gift that costs us something. At one point, David was offered land to put the temple on. And, and, the, and the farmer said, hey, I'll give you the land. You're the king. I'll gladly give you the land. And David said, it would be wrong for me to give something that costs me nothing. Right? Uh, there, there's a truth and a reality that our, our offerings, our financial offerings, are, are, are to be an expression of gratitude that costs us something. Right? Um, but, but the reality is that oftentimes we, we do give financially for the wrong reasons. As I said before, we have this idea that, well, the church needs it or this ministry needs it. And so our giving is primarily motivated by need. Right? And, and I would just ask you to evaluate this morning, to measure your heart. Why do you give? Do you give because this ministry needs it? Because that church needs it? Because 
uh, this poor person needs it. Now, one of the functions, as, as it shows, one of the functions of, of the vows and the offerings and the tithes was to support those serving and working in ministry. And certainly, uh, your gifts and your donations to the church and to ministries support the ongoing work and those laborers. But is that why we give? Well, this would tell us no. Right? We shouldn't be driven and motivated to give based purely on the need that we see out there. And, you know, as a preacher, this just kills me to preach this because I would much rather say, we need your gift. And we actually do, right? Because uh, the church wouldn't, won't make it uh, without it. But that's not what the Bible says should be the call to give. Uh, neither should it be because we believe in the cause. Like that's the Western, maybe kind of American Western thing. You know, we've we got to have a good cause. Save, the, save this, save that. Um, you know, plant churches with the unreached. Super important stuff. But is that, is that the main reason why we give? Because we're going to save the world. No. No, because honestly, we're not going to save the world. And remember the, the basic principle here. The, the first premise is that God does not need your money or mine. Right? God's going to fulfill His mission and His work by His power, not by good funding. Right? And yet I see so many people appealing for money. Oh, the lost people in some foreign country are all going to die and go to hell because you didn't give your money. Well, that's, that's not biblical, right? And that's honestly giving for the wrong reason. Uh, the, the clear answer here is that we are to give um, because we are so thankful, right? And we're also not giving to purchase or buy God's help. And I love, the way the, I love the way the vow worked. It was brilliant. God, if you do this for me, I will give. But guess what? If you don't answer my prayer, I'm off the hook, right? It was conditioned on God's... And so it wasn't purchasing God's help. It wasn't saying, God, I'm giving you this money, so now you owe me. No, in fact, the, the, the giver had to hold on to their gift until God answered, Right? Because it was to be a gift of thanksgiving. Right? The primary purpose of giving our tithes and our offering is that it is to be a tangible and costly expression of our gratitude. We should give because we are grateful. And, and really not for any other reason. No matter what the benefits are, right, our reason for giving would, should be because we are so grateful. And it should be costly. Right? Um, and in fact, I think it's fair to say that um, the, the, the cost of our gift, to some extent, is a measure of the depth of our gratitude. Right? So like if you were to take your giving, your, your financial giving, and it can be finances, resources, time, energy, assets, right? Uh, what does your giving tell you about your gratefulness to God? What is really the most fitting gift? How much is really enough to say thanks for, the, for Jesus who gave his life for you. Like what's really enough to say thanks to Jesus who suffered and died and poured out his life blood for you? Well, we would say, actually, there's no amount of money. If I gave God all my possessions, it's not enough. And Paul would actually concur with that, would agree. And in Romans 12:1, he says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? Your spiritual worship. What, what, God, what God ultimately, the greatest gift of thanks we can give to Him is our very life. Uh, and unlike in the Old Testament, where only the Levites could serve, um, the reality is you and I can all serve. And, and the greatest gift that we can give to God is our very life. Uh, and, but I love in Romans 12 that uh, Paul, who likes to give commands, okay, Paul loves to command people. He's a very bossy guy. Um, uh, and he was not afraid to use the imperative, I'm telling you, this is what you've got to do. He does not use that language here. He says, I appeal to you, I beg you, I urge you that you would freely of your own will and choice because of, your, because of God's mercy, because you've experienced his grace, that you would give your, your body, your life to God as a living sacrifice. How, how grateful are we? And where does this gratefulness come from? Well, let me close by just uh, reading it's a, uh, this story, this account from Jesus' life uh, from Luke chapter 7. And it's a picture of a, of, a, of a lady who wasn't fulfilling a vow per se, but she was uh, capturing the spirit of the vow uh, in her gift to Jesus. Um, <laughs> Uh, Luke 7, uh, verse uh, 46. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, probably a prostitute, when she learned that Jesus was reclining, was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, uh, very expensive. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Um, here's a woman who had been touched by Jesus and uh, the most precious thing that she had was this ointment. A lot of scholars believe that it was something that was reserved either for marriage or for death. And so maybe she was on way. Maybe this was her, her, her treasure for marriage. And she, she pours it out. And it was in an alabaster box, which meant it, it, it couldn't be, once it was broken and opened, it couldn't be closed up again. You poured out the whole thing. It was a very expensive gift. Right? Uh, but notice what happens. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, uh, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, and he said, Say it, teacher. And, and Jesus gives this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. One owed an incredible amount of money. The other a very small amount. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love more? Simon answered, Well, I suppose uh, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And, and, and Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Our gratitude begins partly with realizing the incredible price Jesus paid for us. But more than that, it begins when we come to really appreciate how much we've sinned against him. And that was really the brilliance of the vow. It came at a moment of incredible life crisis and urgent need. And you could promise huge things when you knew, when you knew your life was about over. Right? Um, and what happened was, uh, when God answered and life got better, it was pretty easy to forget. Right? And that's one of the dangers that we run into, is we, we forget where we came from. And we stop being thankful. Because we take God's blood for granted. Right? And so, so the lesson here is, you know, we need to get back and remember uh, exactly who we were before Jesus reached down and saved us. He who's forgiven little, loves little. And consequently, gives little in thanksgiving. Right? Uh, how thankful are you for God's grace in your life? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.